We're going to dive in this morning. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we are diving into our series titled At the Core. At the Core, which is all about all of our new, well, new and improved, you should say, core values that are go, live, love, multiply. You can see them on the banners here. You can see them as you walk in. And and we've been talking about these, and we're on our last week of this series. I can't believe four weeks has already gone by in the new year. But today we're going to be talking about multiply. Multiply. And if you've been at Radiant for a while, you've heard us say this a lot. We're going to multiply. What is it? Disciples, leaders, and churches. And it's something that we're very passionate about. And now to say that on Sunday morning and to get excited about it and to simply say that and declare that is not very hard. Yeah, we're going to disciple leaders and churches. I love that my church does that. But it's one other thing to take that initiative yourself, to step into that and to say, no, I'm going to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm going to step into what God has for me. And we're going to have three guests with us this morning. If you're one of those three, you can make your way to the stage. And we're going to hear from three different people about situations that you may find yourself in at times. Moments when you can find yourself uncomfortable with this initiative. If Mylon Dice is around, he can make his way up as well. Times where this can be tough, times where it can be uncomfortable, but they're real-life situations that we walk through every day. So would you pray with me quick before we dive into this? Heavenly Father God, you are here in this space this morning. Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would change the atmosphere, that we would be attentive to what you have for us this morning, Jesus. And as we listen, God, as we listen to Jason, as we listen to our friends on stage this morning, as we worship Jesus, that you would just be present in our minds, be present in our hearts, move in our souls, God, to hear what it is you have for us this morning. And all his people said, amen. Take this moment and listen to our friends this morning. Fred has been loyal to the large corporation that he has worked for many years now. He's gotten many promotions, and he's always felt that the company has taken care of him and his family. Fred has a number of employees that are under him, looking to him for leadership. He is a leader, but he also feels the need to promote uh, the values of the company. The other day, one of his co-workers expressed to him that their mother has passed away and that they are feeling pretty distraught. Fred has a moment and feels that perhaps he should pray for him, but he also knows that company policy would prevent that, especially someone in his position. How does uh, Fred step into these God-ordained moments while respecting the policy of the company? Does he have to obey God or respect the authority that God has put over him? Olivia has a strong inner relationship with Jesus. She loves to worship and she experiences God regularly. She recently had a friend start to dabble in new age stuff like mysticism, horoscopes, chakras, and even Buddhism. She sees an opportunity to share Jesus, but she hates controversy. 
She knows that the Bible makes some pretty serious truth claims about Jesus and other religions. And even she has at times wondered, are there other ways to heaven than just Jesus? She doesn't want to argue and debate with her friend, but she hates offending people. Olivia is worried that once she brings up God, she's going to get asked all sorts of questions like, why she's a Christian when she currently has gay friends who feel under attack by the church. She's afraid that she's going to get clumped into the group of Christians who are closed-minded. What if she loses her friend by sharing her love and faith in Jesus? Sam has a strong, developed sense of theology. He's an intellectual with a respect for science, but he cringes during church anytime demons are brought up or when pastor goes on a rant. One time uh, with his, he was gaming with his friends and they spoke about a Reddit thread that seemed to debunk Christianity and even claimed all religion was harmful to the world. These, these comments prodded Sam's deeper doubts that he hadn't had a chance to share with anyone yet. And he's like, I probably should say something because I believe in the story of Jesus and his resurrection. But he'll likely be dogpiled if he does. The last thing he wants is to be labeled as an anti-science dummy who still believes in fairy tales. Sam wonders if it's even worth defending God if his friends have already heard about Jesus and made up their minds. Can he really say anything that would change their thinking? Find yourself in one of these situations? Because I know I have. I've lived in that tension, and I know that a lot of you have as well. I do desire to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I do desire to step into the Great Commission. I do desire to step into the call. But sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And how do we live in the tension of it's hard, but Jesus didn't make it a suggestion? How do we live in that? And we're going to talk about that today. As you listen to these tensions, as you feel the call on your own soul, I ask that you dwell in that this morning and you keep that at the forefront of your mind as we continue in worship, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to just fall fresh on you this morning and work in your heart, in your soul. As we chat about this hard conversation today, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us this morning and we're going to dive back into worship. Jesus you get it. You get it. There is not a single thing, a single struggle, a single thought that we have that you do not already understand, God. You get it. You get us. You delight in us already, even though we walk through these hard tensions. And guess what? Even though it's hard, you've already gone before us and you've already claimed the victory. Jesus, you love us. You're close to us. You delight in us. May we present to you just a fragrant offering 
with our words, with our coworkers, with our relationships, God. We desire to live out your call for us, Jesus. Would you teach us how? Our good shepherd, our king, teach us how. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch. There is a tangible, desperate need for Jesus. A glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus experienced this. He saw it firsthand. The need broke his heart and filled him with compassion. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling, a calling to make a difference, to share the truth of the gospel, to be a light in the darkness, to be the church. It's time for us to look beyond ourselves, to turn our focus to the field, to answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work? Anybody glad to be here this morning? It's cold. Yeah. Burr, huh? It is cold out today, so I want to say welcome to you. Thanks for coming on out. I want to say welcome to all those who are watching at home, and even welcome to those listening next to a palm tree. We know who you are <laughs> on that. Mm-hmm. On that. So I am so glad that you're here. We're going to jump in, dive in today. We've been in a series on our core values. We're going to end it today with our final core value, which is multiply. If you haven't picked up already on that, in the service today. And uh, earlier in the week, Pastor Ben sent me a a couple of graphs, and we do that. We trade off graphs, and and primarily because we just don't have a life. And and so we just send stuff like that because we're nerds. And uh, and so uh, he sent it, and, and his first question was like, well, what do you think? So I wanted to show it to you today because I I thought it was relevant to what we're talking about. And the question is, you know, U.S. Christians uh, discussing barriers to making disciples. What are some of the reasons people struggle with making disciples? It was interesting answers. You know, 37% believe, I don't think I'm qualified or equipped. Uh, 24% say, well, no one has suggested it or asked me. The next one is, just haven't thought about it. Um, Another one is, uh, had a bad experience in the past. And then the other is 14% percent, which I have no idea what 14%, what, you forgot to shave your legs, put deodorant on, what is it, you know, don't know, but I realized when I saw this, you know, my answer to him is like, well, I think I can knock two of these out in my sermon, like, really super quickly, so let's do that before we get going. The first one is, no one has suggested it or asked me, so, hi, (laughs) my name's Pastor Jason, I'm one of the many pastors here at Radiant Church, and I am suggesting to you that you go make disciples. All right? Are we clear? All right. One down. All right. The next one. Uh, Just haven't thought about it. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about it for the next 20 minutes, so you're going to think about it, and I want you to think about it. So there. 
We knocked to like 40-something percent, what, 46% of the reasons why people don't make disciples. We knocked them out in like two minutes. Congratulations. That's really, really awesome. I love it. As Maddie would say, it's easy peasy, right, Maddie? So on that. But we all know it's not that easy, don't we? It's, we have some fun. But making disciples, it's not as easy as me just getting up here and saying, go do it. We need to talk about it a little more because it's core to everything we believe. It is also core to what we call the Great Commission. And that was the second graph that he sent me is the Great Commission, kind of asking, do Christians understand or do they even know what the word means when we say Great Commission? And come to find out, well, 51% say, no, I don't have any clue what the Great Commission is. About 6% say, I'm not really sure. Um, but the others say, you know what, yeah, maybe, but I can't exactly recall the meaning. So really, when you look at this, nearly 80% of Christians either don't know what it is or are completely unclear about what the Great Commission is. So let's dive in and talk about that a little bit today. What is the Great Commission? What are we talking about when we discuss the Great Commission? Now, this isn't a surprise for many of you because we talk about a couple of verses that I'm going to mention many times. It's part of our core values. It's at the center of everything we do. But when we're speaking about the Great Commission in the Bible, we're talking about Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, it's important that you understand that it's the final conversation Jesus is having with his disciples before he's to go up to heaven and be with his father. So he's leaving them some final instructions. Now, if Jesus were about to leave and go be with his father and he was giving you some final instructions, you would want to pay attention to these, wouldn't you? It seems like that would be pertinent information right before he leaves. And indeed it is. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is if you have your worship guide, go ahead and pull it out for a minute. That's that thing you got when you came in the door. On the back side of it uh, is an area where we take notes. If you're new to Radiant Church, we often do this, is we take notes. And I'm going to encourage you to just follow along with the fill-ins today. Why? Because I find that when I write things down, I remember them better. And number two, my goal is that you don't just make this a Sunday conversation. I want you to take that with you in the week. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think over it. Go back and look it over and ask, dear Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What are you challenging me to in my life? So when we talk about the Great Commission, it's Matthew 28. I even printed it on there so you have the verse to know exactly where it's from. What do we learn in that? These are some obvious things. Well, the first thing we learn is we are to go. We're called to go. And of course, this is our first core value. Central to who we are at Radiant Church is this idea that we are the sent people of God. We're not meant to just hang out here in a holy huddle. We are called to get outside of our walls, get into the community, shine the light of Christ, and make a difference in the world around us. It's not about just coming to church. It's about being the church in the community. Amen? Oh, come on, y'all. Seriously. Like, all right, wake up. Come on now. Amen? All right. So we're called to go. That's central to the Great Commission. The second thing we learn is that we're called to make disciples. No surprise there. That it means going out and being intentional about helping people take the next steps in their spiritual journey. Being a disciple means we're learning to live as Jesus lives and love as Jesus loves, which we have discovered in our core values as well. A disciple at its core is a person learning to say the things Jesus says, do the things Jesus does, with the intent of becoming who or what Jesus is. That's what we're called to do is to go make disciples. And then the next thing it says is then baptize them. 
Part of the Great Commission then is go baptize them. Now, for a lot of people, I've even had conversations the last week, they say, you know what, I got baptized as a, as a child or as a baby, and those are super duper important, but I, I want you to know, I kind of put those in the baby dedication category. Baptism is an adult decision to declare something that is in your heart. In other words, it is an outward sign of an inward decision you have made to declare Jesus Christ not only as your Savior, but as your King. It's a visible sign to the world that he's my guy. This is who I follow. And in the old days, to declare that Jesus was your king was to say Caesar was not, and a lot of people lost their lives. So it's a serious thing. If you've not done it, man, I want to encourage you. That is your next step in your spiritual journey. If you declare Jesus Christ is my savior and king, but have not done it, well, Jesus got baptized, and we're called to do the things Jesus does. That's being a disciple, right? So part of your discipleship journey is to follow Jesus Christ in believer's baptism. Let Pastor Maddie, me, uh, or Pastor Ben know if you would like to get more information on that. And because we declare that Jesus is our king, notice the next thing Jesus challenges us to in Matthew 20 is he says, teach them to obey. See, it's not enough to just say, hey, he forgives my sins and, and I get to go to heaven. Jesus says, teach them to obey what I have taught you. Now, we don't live in a culture that loves that word. Most people don't gravitate towards it. We don't wake up in the morning and go, I just want to obey today. That's just, that's what I do. No, it's kind of built into us to be, for a lot of us, just to kind of resist authority and control and, and to go against the stream. That's our, our sinful nature at work. And Jesus is saying, no, I need you to repent and I need you to follow me. Teach them to obey the things that I taught you. Why? Because Jesus is the standard. He is the lighthouse by which we guide our ship. Teach them to obey. And it's out of this great commission that our, that our core values flow. It's no surprise then when, you say, when we say, listen, we are called to go, live as Jesus lives, love as Jesus loves, and we exist to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches because anything that stops growing, what? Dies. That's something we've learned in partnership class for many of us. Anything that stops growing, dies. And so as we talk about multiplying today, we could, we could spend weeks on this topic. I kind of want to just talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. For instance, like, when I say multiply, what are three people in your lives I'm referring to? Who are we talking about here? And I want to tell you, who, here's those three people. Who is it you need to invite is the first question. Whether that's to church or maybe it's to group or it's just to an event like a, the women's if gathering or a men's uh, group, I, there are many ways to invite. But who is it I need to invite? The second question to be asking yourself is who do I need to disciple in my life? Who is it I need to help become more like Jesus? And the third one we've talked about before, but it's time we start talking about it a little more. Who is your one? We've talked about this before. Who's that one person that you need to be pouring into to help discover Jesus or be demonstrating who Jesus is or just walk life alongside? And I want to talk a little bit about the differences between these three questions but in particular, I want to hone in on who's your one. 
We've had sermons on this before, but it's been a while, but you're going to hear us talking about it more and more in the next six months. I want to bring back a focus on this, discovering who our one is and stepping into it. And so what am I talking about when I say, who's your one? Who's that person you're doing life with? Who has your time and attention? And there's some key things that I want us to discuss. Now, we've been discussing this behind the scenes at the leadership level with the staff uh, and with some other leaders in the church and at the board level, but it's now just time to take that conversation out to the church as a whole. Here's three criteria for finding a one. The first one is this. They do not have a relationship with Jesus. This is why I have two separate questions when I asked you. One question was, who are you discipling? The other question is, who's your one? They are not the same people. Who you are discipling is somebody who has already made a decision for Jesus that maybe you're in a Bible study with prayer, accountability relationship, whatever it may be, but the two of you are walking alongside of each other and helping develop your relationship in Jesus Christ, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Who are you discipling is a different question than Who's your one? When we ask who's your one, what I'm saying is, who is it you're in relationship with that doesn't know Jesus? They're far from Christ. The second criteria, they live local to you. Now, I get it. I have friends, too, that live several states away, and I've been pouring into them for years, and I love them and will continue pouring into them. But around here, when we're talking about who's your one, it's not about that person two states away. I'm asking, who is that person in your community, in your neighborhood, wherever it is you do life, in your sphere of influence, that you need to be stepping into? Who's that person that needs to know Jesus in your life? The third thing is really important. For this one, you decide to rearrange your life to do life with them. You are going to divert time and resources, attention, whatever it may be. You make a decision when God puts this person in your heart to say, you know what, I'm going to step into their life, maybe even the mess of their life, and we're going to do life together. We're going to walk alongside each other and be there for one another. So it means, to have a one means that you have to be conscious about saying, I'm taking time to invest in this person. Now there's some things to keep in mind if you decide to have a one, and I'm encouraging everybody to have one, and a couple of these might surprise you. The first thing you need to know is this, the goal is not to bring them to Christ. (gasps) That might surprise you for just a moment. The goal is not to bring them to Christ. And if you're uncomfortable with that, hang with me for just a minute, okay? The reason the goal isn't to bring them at Christ is the goal is relationship above all else. The goal in this is to build a relationship with this person. What happens when the goal is to bring them to Christ? And there's nothing wrong with that. The hope is that in doing life together, you'll be able to answer questions. You'll be able to demonstrate Christ to them. They will see Christ in you. The difference is when we make them coming to Jesus the only thing, the relationship becomes transactional. And they begin to see themselves and you begin to see them as a project rather than a friend. And can I tell you, nobody wants to feel like they're your project, okay? 
That's why I caution you when, when you have a one, uh, there's different opinions on this, but I caution you about don't let the person know they're your one, maybe not at least at first. Because when they discover that, it can change the relationship. Suddenly they think, oh, you're, you're just in this for that. You're just trying to sell me Jesus. Rather than understanding, no, I really just love you. I really want to build a relationship with you. I want you to understand that there are godly people out there who can be your friends. Don't let them feel like they're a project on that. For this reason, that's why I tell you, don't, don't tell them at first. But again, the goal isn't necessarily to bring them to Christ. We hope that. We're praying for that. We want that. The goal is relationship. Focus on that. For a lot of Christians out there, they're so busy evangelizing, they don't have any friends. And for some Christians, they've hung out so long in the bubble, they don't have any unchristian friends out there. What's it going to take for us to get outside of our walls, get out of the bubble, and get out into the community and meet people and not see them as a project, but just to see them as someone we love to do life with? Because guess what we find out when we do that and we go looking for the one and we engage that one, what we discover is this, having a one grows me. For some of you feel like you're stuck, you've plateaued, where do I go? Maybe you need to go discover your one because it's in, it's in discovering a one and having those conversations that you get challenged, you get pushed, you get pulled. And by the way, we've talked about this before, nothing grows without being stretched, pulled, or challenged. That's part of life. And so when we go out and we discover our one, we, we realize, man, I, I, I may have to answer questions that I don't know the answer to, and it's okay. Come to find out, if someone asks you something you don't know, you go, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. We're scared, but I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything that's crazy. I'm just, I'm just asking you to say, listen, let's just do life together. And when we do that, we realize, man, I better be on the top of my game. It reminds us to pray for this person. It keeps us connected to the vine. Having a one ends up growing me. But what we discover when we have a one is there's four possible phases we can go through. And a couple of these are reasons why people don't step into having a one. And I think it's important that we cover them today. The first phase that a lot of people walk through when they're either thinking about having a one or when they have a one is fear. They, they are fearful of this. And fear can cause us not to step into something, but fear can also, if we're in that relationship, keep us from being everything God created us to be. We are not called to live lives of fear. That's why I like that song, Fear, It Is a Liar. It is a liar. We're not called to live lives of fear. And fear can keep us from stepping in to that relationship. But, but what are those fears that a lot of people are dealing with? They're legitimate fears. Sometimes people are like, do I know enough to have a one? Am I mature enough in my faith to have one? I, I, I mean, do, do I have the, the tools and the resources I need to even have a one? I, I, I'm scared. And again, I'm not asking you in this relationship to, you know, tell them and explain to them the book of Leviticus. I'm not asking you to parse Greek verbs in this relationship. I'm asking you to just go to coffee. Invite them over to your house. Do a project with them. 
Find an opportunity to just get to know them better and to love them. It's about relationship. Invest in the relationship first and be available for them. Another avenue we go down to or phase when we have a one is joy. That's, a, that's the great part of it is we end up discovering, you know what, this is fun. I, I find that when, you, when the Lord reveals a one and begins doing life, it's fun. Why? You get to meet someone new. You get to discover their life, the things they struggle through, the things that are going well. You get to know their hurts and pains, and, and whatever it may be. There could be an enormous amount of joy walking along somebody hearing their story, discovering it, and finding out how you can be a part of that story. It's fun. Meeting with other people for coffee, it it can be fun to discover those things about them. And in that process of those conversations, you you don't have to totally, you know, throw out Christianese and act overtly Christian. You know, sometimes you just got to talk with somebody. I'll tell you, they'll figure out there's something different about you without you having to tell them. I see it so many How many of you have jobs and people there at the job know you're a Christian without you necessarily telling them, right? Why? Because they look out and they say there's something different about you. And when you start doing life with somebody else, they'll figure out there's something different. You know, I remember someone told me that uh, a few weeks ago. He's like, yeah, a guy finally came up and asked me, man, I noticed there's something different for you. You, you never get mad at the things the other people get mad at. And I know you don't, I notice you don't cuss. Door open. And he didn't have to go hold a sign up saying, turn or burn. <laughs> Repent, you sinner. They will know you by your love. They'll see there's something different about you. And when they do, man, there's joy with that. The next one I want to camp out for a couple minutes in. This is the one that often ends the one or keeps people from getting another one. And that's grief. What do I mean by grief? A couple different things I mean by that. You, you can have a one and you can come to the conclusion over time, like, I don't know that this person ever is going to step into Jesus. I don't know that this person's ever going to turn the corner. And if you have built the relationship and you have learned to love and do life together, guess what? You're going to grieve. You're going to grieve that. If you've got children walking down that road, as I do, you grieve it. You grieve it. This one is shared not only with who's your one, but it's shared with who are you discipling as well. Because guess what? You know, when you disciple somebody also, the second reason people grieve is, you know what? You you talk to this person. You invest in them. you, You share with them some great ideas, like here's some things I'm suggesting doing. You're walking through this difficult time or you have this difficult thing. Uh, Here's some ideas that I think you could walk through. Here's some things that I think you could teach and learn. And then inevitably they just go back and make the same mistakes over and over again, don't they? And you grieve that because it hurts. The Bible says as a dog returns to vomit, so does man. Anybody ever experienced that with a family member or a friend or somebody else? And you grieve it because you're like, here's the answer. I, I know the way. Here's the door. Open it. And they don't. 
and they go back to their old wells and they make the same mistakes. And because you have a relationship with them, you grieve. Been there? It's hard. Trust me, as a pastor, I see this all the time. It's hard watching people go back to the old wells and make the same old mistakes. But I want you to know grieving is healthy. Don't give up. It's part of the process. It requires endurance and continual love. Because here's the thing. You say, well, can't you make this person change? Can't you make them do the right thing? Can't you make them right, make the right decisions? And the answer is this. You can't make them do a thing. And as a person either investing in their one or discipling somebody, man, that hurts. Sometimes that journey requires grief. But for a few who endure, who keep investing, keep loving, they get to go to that fourth one, which is celebration. They are awakened. They make a decision for Christ. They step into this new life, and you get to celebrate that with them. Or maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe they just start making some good decisions in their life, and that's great too. But you get to celebrate, and the ultimate celebration is then you get to baptize them. And yes, if your one comes to Jesus, you're doing the baptism, okay? That's the deal with you. You get to celebrate, and you get to dunk them, and you got to bring them up before the bubbles stop, okay? That's the point, all right? You have to, all right? So, but you get to, and you get to celebrate. And in those celebrations, we're reminded of why we endure and why we grieve and why we invest in a one. We'll walk through each of those stages. So I just want to remind you, three questions. Who do you need to invite? And that's different than the others. Sometimes somebody's not your one and they're your neighbor and you just need to say, hey, Easter's coming, would you like to go to church with us? You know what I mean? Could be that coworker, could be that friend. It's not your one, that's just somebody you need to obey the Holy Spirit's leading, step into it and just say, would you like to go? You need to ask yourself, who am I discipling in my life, helping become more like Jesus, and then who is my one? We're going to be putting that in our language all over the place in the next six months. Who is my one? At the staff level, we're already asking that. Who's your one? And we report to each other. Have you had a conversation with that person in the last month? How did it go? How did it not go? And, and we, we have to be open. We have to be honest with each other, even if the answer is, you know what? I haven't really talked to him much in the last month. Or sometime, like with my one, I had to say, you know what? Yeah, I kind of mentioned I was a pastor, and his next response was, we're not really into that sort of stuff. <sighs> Still my one, though. We're going to ask, who's your one? Which means we're going to take it further from just the staff level. We're taking it to the leadership level. At all the board meetings, we're going to be asking, who's your one? Give me an update. What's going on with that? I'm going to be asking the group leaders to start opening up their small groups, asking that question. Who's your one? More and more, you're just going to hear that question. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the days of doing church well, 
advertising on Facebook, opening your doors, and hoping people come in are over. It's been over for a long time. In this world where one out of three stopped attending church in the last two to three years, the only thing that works is coming on the arm of a friend. Nobody wants to enter a strange building of people they've never met anyways, do you? They come on the arm of a friend. I didn't say a salesman. And if we're going to grow, and we're going to, because anything that stops growing what? If we're going to grow, we're going to have to be a church that gets out of these walls and prayerfully asks the Lord to identify a one and begin doing life with those ones and holding ourselves accountable to those relationships with the ones and grieving sometimes and celebrating some others. That's the church of the future. That's what we're being called to do. So you've got to ask yourself, who is your one? And if you're serious about it, I'm going to ask you in the next week to pray about it. And then I'm going to give you a warning. You pray about it, God will show you who your one is. I promise. And then remember that obedience thing we talked about in the Great Commission? You'll be faced with a decision. Am I ready to step into this? Or am I going to ignore the Holy Spirit's leading in my life? I've said this several times throughout the series, and I'll say it again. What could God do with a church fully invested in identifying a one and doing life alongside them that is passionate about introducing people to Jesus? I'll tell you what he can do with a church like that. That church he can use through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to change a community. I absolutely believe that. And so church, I need to ask you one last time, who's your one? Pray about it this week.